Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I have a very special guest today, Dusty Weiss. Weiss, how do you pronounce your last name, sir? <laughs> it's great. I've been saying since I was in the first uh, grade with uh, my teachers back then. Weiss rhymes with nice. Weiss rhymes with nice, but it's spelled differently. And, you know, folks out there, if you ha- aren't connected with him on LinkedIn and want to look him up, it's the the I before E rule that we've learned in, in elementary school it does not apply here. So Dusty W-E-I-S. And like you said, it, Ryan, it's a crazy nice. German thing. That's how they do, you know. Yeah. Why, why, you have, why do you got to be like that, Dusty, man? Come on. Come well, on. it's funny because you meet a lot of W-E-I-S-S Weisses. And uh, there aren't as many of us one single S Weisses, and it's because it comes from the German letter S-A, which looks like a B, but it's like a double S. And apparently my ancestors, when they came across it at Ellis Island, uh, just got lazy and didn't want to write that fifth letter. Hey, more power to them, and it makes your name shorter, and you know your kids will have an easier time spelling it and learning your last name. So outstanding. outstanding. It's basically win-win. Yeah, win-win. So, uh, Dusty, appreciate you being on the show. And, you know, to kick things off here, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what you're what you do and special projects you have going going on right now and things of that nature. Yeah, sure thing. And and really appreciate your having me on, Ian. I've uh, uh, been listening to the show and uh, like what you do, like your approach to storytelling and uh, eager to have this conversation uh, I'm the founder and currently the sole employee of a company called PodCamp Media. I launched the company last summer. Uh, and what PodCamp Media does is we take corporations and companies and brands and associations and we help them tell their story and connect with their customers or members through podcasting. And so it's sort of like an ad agency, except instead of advertising, we just focus on making good quality podcasts for these corporate clients. Uh, Like I said, I launched it last summer. Uh, So far, my clients have included the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Uh, The National Corn Growers Association has actually just signed on as a client, and we're working to get their podcast off the ground. Um, Really excited for that as well. Uh, I uh, wasn't always in the PR and marketing side of things. I actually worked for 10 years in traditional radio, uh, before I switched into PR and marketing. Um, that included a stint as a news anchor at WIOD in Miami, Florida, um, which is uh, the last place that I had a job in radio before I moved into PR and marketing. Uh, and of course, I'm a born and bred Wisconsin boy, live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, make my business and my home here. I'm an obnoxious Packers fan and an avid outdoorsman to boot. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit about me. And then As far as special projects go, in addition to the work that I do for my clients, uh, I actually just launched at the start of the new year here a show called Lead Balloon, and this is something that I've been particularly excited about. Uh, It's a podcast focused on giving marketing and public relations professionals a venue to relive the worst day of their lives. Uh, As I was sort of starting this company, I I realized I wouldn't be a very good marketer if I didn't use my own tactics for my own brand. And so I had to sit down and think to myself, well, what are the sort of stories, the sort of podcasts that 
my potential customers, PR and marketing professionals want to hear. Having spent some time around that crowd, uh, I happen to know that uh, when a bunch of marketers go out for beers after work, they wind up sitting around telling old stories about times that they screwed up or a, a project went uh, totally sideways and uh, how they got out of that disaster. And so uh, disaster stories in PR and marketing has sort of become uh, the new thing uh, for Lead Balloon, but it's it's focused very much on an immersive style of storytelling. Uh, so there's a lot of post-production, uh, some effects, some music, and, and, and focuses on bringing many voices together to tell the same story. But uh, we're three episodes into it, having a lot of fun with it so far, and uh, eager to uh, continue on with it down the road here. I have to ask, and you don't have to answer, but what is the worst story that someone has shared and change the names if you're able to tell the story. I'm just, you had me sitting on the edge of my seat uh, wondering what it could be. Well, uh, I think the worst one, and we're only three episodes into it uh, so far. And so as far as the most cringe inducingly terrible story that anybody has shared yes, that on one. my show so far, uh, it's my story. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I figure it's not fair to ask other people to tell their stories if I'm not going to uh, give a little bit of my own. And I am someone who has screwed up again and again and again in my career over the years. And so in episode two of the Lead Balloon podcast, I tell the story about uh, my first week on the job in public relations at Milwaukee City Hall, where I worked for five years, and how I, unbeknownst to me and inadvertently, insulted one of my new bosses in just a terrible, terrible way in my first week on the job and very nearly got fired before I could really even start my career in PR. Um, and, uh, uh, I won't, I won't give away the, uh, uh, punchline to the story. Um, for that, you'll have to, uh, tune into the podcast. Uh, but basically coming from a background as a radio news reporter, uh, I had a, a bad habit at that time, and I still tend to from time to time, of shooting from the hip and running my mouth a little bit. <laughs> and I walked into this guy's office. He was one of the members of the Milwaukee City Council, one of 15 who were my bosses. And the first time I met him, I looked at him and I made an assumption about what he believed about a topic and said something that I thought would be very funny to someone who thought like that. And actually, he believed the opposite. And so it was a dreadful, dreadful insult. <laughs> Hate it when and, that happens. And, uh, and he turned red in the face and, uh, and yelled at me uh, for like five minutes straight. And, uh, and, and when, I, when I got home that night, I was, I was 27. And I was living with three people who had a spare bedroom to rent who I'd never really met before in my life. And I just, it was a Friday night. And I walked into this apartment carrying two six packs of beers and I set it on the counter and I said, guys, come have a drink with me because I'm getting fired on Monday. <laughs> I was dead certain that they were going to run me out. And going back now and, and exploring this story, I, I not only sit down with the guy that I insulted, who is actually a phenomenal human being, not only because he didn't fire me, but just because he's smart and knowledgeable and a good leader because a crappy leader would have used that insult to like bully me for as long as I worked at city hall. And this dude did not do that. 
So not only did that, did he not use that and, uh, uh, and and use it against me over time. We actually went on to have a great working relationship together. But I also went and uh, for this episode, I talked to uh, two of my former bosses, the public relations manager and the city clerk, uh, to see what this guy said to them after this incident and to see how close I actually came to getting fired. And it turned out really close. Skid of the teeth. Just <laughs> barely. Would have been a disaster. But... Oh, Coasted through it. Lesson learned. Don't walk into a room shooting your mouth until you know everybody that's uh, in the room and uh, and and how your bad jokes are going to land. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. Probably not on day one. Start uh, <laughs> even if you have a sense of humor, maybe just kind of hold on to it and kind of gauge the room before uh, before you start. <laughs> Saying some jokes at your job, yeah. It sounds like you're more highly qualified for that job than I was. Oh no, no, absolutely not. I've I've done the exact same and thought I was hilarious and funny. Well, I still do this all the time with my wife, and she's very quick to tell me I'm not as funny as I think I am. So I feel your pain there, man. I absolutely feel your pain. But uh, kind of going along with the storytelling that you were mentioning earlier, how do podcasts enable us and your clients even? businesses, how do podcasts enable them to tell a story to their target market or their customers? Well, when I am, when I'm having a conversation with a potential client about the value of podcasting, the first thing that I drive home to them is do not expect to get 5 million impressions per podcast episode when we put this out there. Because especially just starting out in the podcast world, you're not going to get nearly that many listeners. You're going to get a much smaller number. And the value of podcasting for a corporation looking to tell its story is not in the number of people that they reach out to. It is in the level of engagement that you get with people. Podcasting is an incredible medium because, A, it's portable. You can take it with you wherever you're. Uh, wherever you go and whatever you're doing, you can have it on in the background while you work or walk the dog or work out or drive a car or whatever else. But B, it's audio only. And so it forces the listener to engage their brain. It's not like TV where you can just let the, the flashing lights wash over you and absorb it. If you're listening to a podcast, you're engaging with it. And we find, if you look at the Edison numbers, Edison did a, a poll, they do an annual poll of podcast listeners to learn how many people listen to podcasts, but also how they listen to podcasts. Uh, they did a survey and something like 93% of monthly podcast listeners listen to an entire podcast or most of a podcast. Very few podcast listeners start one and then go, mm, nah, not going to listen to this. Once somebody's in, they're in for the whole thing. And that's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, which when you compare it to the level of engagement that you get in other media right now, um, most people will abandon a web page if it takes more than three seconds to load. Uh, most people engage with a, a piece of uh, Facebook content for about 1.7 seconds on average. And even if you're talking about like a YouTube video where somebody has gone out, this isn't an ad on YouTube. This is a video that they want to watch. The attention span for that is still two and a half minutes on average. And so somehow in podcasting, we get 45 minutes of somebody's undivided attention. 
That is the value and the power of podcasting. But I've always, in my entire career, I've always loved audio as a medium because it forces people to engage their brains and imagine what you're talking about or try to picture your face or try to picture the scene that you're describing. It's just a much more powerful, uh, just a much more powerful medium and a, a powerful sense in that way. I, I totally agree with you. I am a big fan of the audio only, not only because I despise video editing and am terrible at it, <laughs> but there's just something about audio, like you said. I mean, how many times are we sitting there watching TV and we're, we're really not like we can watch a show for 30 minutes and then we just don't even know what went on in the show? Because although our ears have the sound from the TV going through them and into our brains, it's just like, you know, I didn't pay attention at all. I just saw some stuff on the screen. I think I know what happened, but nothing really sunk in. Whereas a podcast, absolutely right. I am, I have no other distractors uh, from my, you know, the senses going on. And it's just like pure information communication going into my ears. So I'm ha I'm happy that you feel the same way. I, I find it with sound, it's almost like a direct route to the core of my brain and, and not just podcasts or radio, but music or background noise. Uh, there was, uh, this, <laughs> there was this heating unit in the back of the band room at my high school. And I played in the percussion section in high school band. And so we hung out at the back there and it was this old, uh, a heating unit that had fans inside of it, and it had this uh, uh, this sheet metal frame that it was built into. And when that fan would kick in, that sheet metal would rattle. And anytime I hear that sort of sound, even to this day, I am right back in that high school band room. I'm 16 years old, and I'm sweating in my shirt because I've got a solo on the xylophone, and I suck at the xylophone, man. <laughs> It's just those sorts of audio, those sorts of audio stimuli just really cut right to the core of you as a human being. At least I feel like I don't think it's the same for everybody, but that's how it hits me. No, I, I definitely feel the same way. I am totally an audio person. And that's why, you know, I started listening to podcasts a year or so ago. And that's I just really, I don't know, it's just something connected with me. I like how I can be sitting somewhere just listening and, and learning stuff or getting perspectives from other people that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be exposed to through my peers or work or anything. So I think audio is extremely powerful and especially bringing back memories and, and the fact that audio can kind of bring that nostalgia back to previous times. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. And, and that's, that's kind of cool that you have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, music does the same thing to me, man. A song that comes on, uh, a, a song comes on the radio from back when I was in middle school or high school or college. I can tell you right where I was the first time I heard that song, man. It's, uh, it's just the memories come flooding back. So I was no kidding. There I was in line at the store today, uh, getting, I think pull-ups or something. And, uh, <laughs> dad so life. This, yeah, I know. hashtag this dad Gwen, life, hashtag dad life for all you listeners out there. But this Gwen Stefani song came on. So like, when did you graduate high school? Just so I know. Uh, 2003. Okay. So 2006 here. So roughly kind of the same time. Yeah. And yeah. this Gwen Stefani song, not no doubt, 
but Gwen Stefani, Four in the Morning, if you remember that song. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm in line. The song comes on. I'm like, I must subconsciously have started singing or humming or something. And the woman who's probably, I don't know, half my age or in her late teens checking me out, like, oh, is this your jam? Like, like let me tell you something. This was my junior prom when this song came out. And it's a, it's a terrible song. It's by no means a good song or anything. And, you know, even Gwen Stefani's talent is, you know, subjective, I'll say, to be nice. But like, she I was better off with no doubt. Yeah, I'm oh, being absolutely. Honest. 100%. <laughs> but like, I remember exactly where I was. I remember walking into the the stupid ballroom where we had our junior prom and that song being on. And then Hollow Bat Girl was the other song from that album. Like, wow, like that just this one song standing in line 10 plus years later, like it just puts me right back there. So audio is extremely, extremely powerful. For better and for worse sometimes because yes, for it, can, for it can drag you back to really bad places too if you're not careful. Yes, and it definitely can. And before we we go down that road, because I want to have a, a positive and happy podcast, even though real life is sad sometimes. But uh, but anyway, I, I'm just fascinated with this story storytelling that you're doing. And you know, you, you made a point that podcasts are able to capture 45 minutes of a person's absolute undivided attention oftentimes. So, so with those 45 minutes as podcasters that we're, we're gifted from our listeners, essentially, what do we do and what are some essentials that we need to do to ensure that we're, we're telling a good story to them and getting our message across clearly? Well, I think it starts with just going back to the basics of what makes a story. And whether you're writing for a newspaper or doing a radio news story or telling a a feature 45-minute podcast story, it's important to remember that there are some basics that you need to have in a good story. First and foremost, plot structure. Whether it's a 30-second news bite or a 45-minute podcast story, it's got to have a beginning, it's got to have a middle, it's got to have an end. There have got to be points where you control the information and keep some things to yourself and uh, hold out a key piece of information from the audience so that you can build suspense. It's a tool that they use in filmmaking all the time. It works great in podcasting as well. Uh, Stories also got to have characters, colorful characters who bring something to the table that maybe your audience hasn't been exposed to before Or maybe the character is a complete and total archetype, someone that your audience knows almost too well and serves a function to get your story from A to B that your audience can easily follow. And then lastly, more than anything, I think it just helps to build a rich environment for your story to unfold in. So music is sort of the low-hanging fruit uh, when it comes to uh, uh, podcasting and, and creating a mood, setting a mood, getting your listeners into a headspace. But there's other ways to do it, too. You can use ambient sound. You can hold your interview in a place that has that sort of ambient sound. Uh, when I was a, a news reporter going out and doing stories for the radio station, Uh, That was something that my news editors were always very, very keen to hear was, okay, so you're doing a story about manufacturing Harley Davidson's. Uh, Can you let them 
Uh, can you get them to let you get down on the manufacturing floor with the MIG welders going in the background and the, uh, the motorcycles rolling down the line? Uh, get somebody to start up a bike. Let's get that sound behind there. Uh, it's important to capture that sound in a way that is controlled so that it's not uh, overpowering your dialogue, which is the most important thread that your listeners have to follow. Um, but if you go about capturing a story in a methodical way, uh, where you get your dialogue somewhere clean and then go out and roll raw sound, uh, out in wherever your environment is, and then bring it back to your studio and put it together like a multi-layered puzzle, that's the best way to really capture that deep, immersive audio experience and still be able to tell the story in a, uh, a way that's coherent, uh, and, uh, stimulating to your listeners. Um, so that's, that's something that I always try to do when I'm working on a project. Um, even if it's, uh, even if it's just something as simple as, uh, when I was having the, uh, sit down interview with the local politician who I insulted that we were talking about earlier, uh, we had it over beers. Uh, because this is Wisconsin, and that's how we uh, rehash painful experiences from our past <laughs> and get over awkward uh, uh, conversations is we do it over a couple of beers. And so uh, we made sure that uh, while we were sitting at my basement bar in front of a couple of microphones uh, having that conversation, uh, you had the occasional sound of a popping bottle top or the uh, clink of our uh, cheers at the end when we... Uh, made our peace with each other, uh, talking over this, uh, this slight from seven years ago. It, it really helps to just tie the experience together for your listeners. That's great. And how, for your clients that you've worked with so far, what are some of the maybe mistakes that you, are there any themes of mistakes that you've noticed them making as far as communicating their story to their customers or target market and how you've had to kind of shift them to the right direction? Um, I'd like to speak more broadly about sure. this topic, not specifically about clients that I've had, uh, but about my experience first as a, a news reporter and then later as a public relations, media relations guy who worked with reporters uh, to tell stories. And I find very often um, what happens to an organization when they're trying to tell their story to the public is they get hung up on what's important to them as the organization, and they try to tell that story to the public rather than finding out what's important to the public, finding out what's important to their customers, and tailoring a story to them that is important to them. Um, this goes into sort of uh, a, another topic that's going to be in an upcoming episode of Lead Balloon, uh, but uh, it goes back to ribbon cuttings. Uh, ribbon cuttings are one of the worst cliches in public relations in the entire world. You gather your VIPs up, everybody stands around with a pair of scissors in front of a ceremonial ribbon that's attached to nothing and means nothing. They count to three and then everybody snips this ribbon, flash bulbs flash, everybody smiles, and then you go. I worked for a newspaper editor once upon a time that had a hard and fast ban on using photos of ribbon cuttings 
because they're stupid. Nobody who's not in that picture cares about a ribbon cutting. That's true. Ribbon cuttings yeah. are done solely for the people who are in those pictures, not because they have any public relations value. And so when you get into that trap in public relations or in storytelling, in podcasting, when you get into that trap of telling a story because it's important to the person telling the story, rather than telling a story because it's important to the person listening to the story, you have completely and utterly failed as a storyteller, as a public relations practitioner, as a reporter, whatever it is, if you're not connecting it to your listener, to your audience, you are failing as a storyteller. So you need to tell the story that your audience will see, will find value in as opposed to what me, the business, or me, the person putting out the information thinks is important. Is That's that exactly saying? it. And it's not always necessarily about telling the story that your audience wants to hear. Sometimes there's a story that they need to hear that they don't necessarily want to hear, but you can phrase it, you can speak, I, I hate the word spin. I almost said spin there. Spin is a terrible word uh, in public relations and in life in general. But you can couch the story. Uh, you can frame it in a way that makes it important to them. I had a news editor in Miami when I worked down there. And we all thought that he was losing his mind uh, one day. Uh, his name was Ken Charles. And Ken walks into the newsroom carrying a cardboard cutout of a middle-aged balding guy in a button-down shirt and khakis and he sets it in the middle of the newsroom and we all look at him like ken what in the hell are you doing and he turns to us and he says this is phil phil is 46 years old he has 2.3 kids he drives an audi or a bmw that he can't afford he has one or two divorces and two houses that he's paying for Phil is our listener. Every story that goes out over our air now needs to be a story that Phil cares to hear or we're not including it in our news lineup. And with that, he walked out. Wow. And at the time, it seemed like this sort of goofy, insane thing to do, but it almost immediately had an impact on the reporters and news anchors in that newsroom because <laughs> we all kind of made fun of Phil. Uh, Phil was kind of a dork. Uh, Phil was the kind of guy that would like uh, make brownies for his kids sleepover and like come down into the basement and embarrass his kids because he was like wearing an apron or whatever. Uh, Phil is the kind of guy that would go out for beers with his buddies uh, but then, you know, kind of the check would come and he'd be like, oh, guys, I really got to I, I got to go. I don't have any cash. Can I just hit you back? And then he never would. Phil was kind of a D bag, but Phil was demographically speaking our listener. And so we started having these conversations amongst ourselves in the newsroom about who our listener was and what our listener found important. And every story, whether it was about property taxes going up. Uh, whether it was about uh, shooting downtown, uh, whether it was about a politician that was flying in from Washington to do a rally in Florida, every story was told in a way that would drive that point home to Phil. 
and it made us more effective storytellers as a result. That is, that's a great point that you made, kind of creating your ideal customer and kind of hu- humanizing him or her, giving him personality traits, kind of the backstory. It's a very powerful tool to drilling down into what your message needs to be putting out and how to communicate to a specific group of people if you have it in an actual kind of person or character that you create. I think there's a term for it uh, in in uh, in podcasting circles. What do they call it? Uh, they say like find avatar. your yeah, find your avatar. That's what yes. it is. Find your avatar. And I always that word just goes in one ear and out the other on me because I don't think of it as an avatar. I think of it as my fill. <laughs> my my fill, have, yeah. So Phil, your fill is an avatar. When I hear avatar, I just think of the the movie with all the blue people. So that's why I don't like <laughs> using that word. Yeah, Phil is uh, way better than Phil is way better than that movie. I, I might I might have a fill now. I might stick on stick with your <laughs> your guy and have a fill now. Absolutely. Well, and if you're able to get your your hands on a cardboard cutout, all the better. You just might uh, freak your uh, wife or coworkers out in the process, <laughs> and kind of hide him in weird places that would freak her out. Yeah, that would be. That's exactly what I would do too. You know, like right inside the door or something and she opens the door and yeah don't give me ideas she'll uh, you know at the newsroom in miami it was when we started dressing phil for the weather that things started getting carried away that is awesome and our our uh, station manager finally swooped in and and said okay you guys get the point i'm getting rid of this cutout it's creepy (laughs) that is awesome i you know my phil i gotta uh, with this podcast I, i have to you just you just told me that I have to create a fill now. So that's something I need to do. And now he'll even have a name. So I thank you for that. <laughs> Happy to help. It's, yeah, uh, absolutely. That is a Ken Charles original. He's off at, uh, I believe, KNX in Los Angeles now. So he's doing just fine for himself too. Ken Charles, if you're listening to the Get Heard podcast, my friend, I appreciate everything you've done with the fill cutout and we've never met before, but just know that, sir. All right, moving back to storytelling. So how would you say as a society we are at at telling stories? I know, you know, back in prehistoric times, stories were used as basically documenting history since there was very little to no written documentation of anything going through early human civilizations to now where everything is documented. How how are we now as a society? Have we lost that that storytelling art at all, in your opinion? Um, I think that we're as a society, uh, we're plenty good at communicating. I think that we're plenty good at telling stories. What I think that we suck at is having important stories to tell or having important things to communicate. <laughs> I just think I think that we're kind of bad at having anything worthwhile to say as a society, and I present to you as my evidence, the entirety of Twitter as just this wasteland of people venting uninformed opinions out into the ether like it's the most important thing that has ever been scribed on stone. Once upon a time in this country and and in this society, there was value placed on expertise. And what we have seen uh, with the advent of the internet has been the democratization of information, which is a good thing. Anybody can go out and learn about anything. But we've also seen the democratization 
of the uninformed. And that's unfortunate, I think. We have seen this deluge of poorly informed opinions and even made up facts uh, and and not enough information literacy to be able to discern the difference. And I think that our biggest problem when it comes to communicating as a society is returning to that spot where (laughs) it's important to communicate but it's also important to have something worthwhile and informed to say. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. And it bums me out a little bit. Sure. I think with technology, instead of, you know, kind of saving our information and holding on to it until we have something good to put out, technology has made it so easy to just put anything and everything out as soon as it comes in our brain without thinking about it, without doing any further research, like you said, ill-informed, you know, I saw someone else say something, so I'm not going to do any research on my own, assume that is that to be the truth. And I will spit something out on Twitter, for example, kind of along the same lines. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of nonsense going on on Twitter. And I mean, you could say Facebook or really any other social media for that matter. Mm, yeah. It, and it's just, it, it's become almost reflexive in a lot of ways. And It kind of makes you just wish that, again, not to say that everybody shouldn't have a voice. Everybody should have a voice, but it should be something that you use responsibly. It should be something that you treat with due consideration. It's almost like we take our freedom of speech for granted in a lot of ways now and just run around machine gunning off the first thing that comes to mind rather than sitting, thinking pondering, forming an opinion, testing that opinion with some people who are close to you. Maybe they tell you, oh, that's a really good thought. You should pen an editorial to the local paper, or you should go and tweet that out. You should put that on your Facebook. Or maybe, and far more often, more likely, they say, uh, you ought to just keep that to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, right. I, uh, I, I knew from Uh, a pretty early age that I was going to be a a professional communicator in some capacity or another. And what scared that, what scared me about that at the time was the responsibility that that put on me of having something worthwhile to say and being knowledgeable about the things that I talked about. And so growing up and, and as a young professional, I idolized the people who had done that research, the people who were just these fonts of information about local politics or about sports. And I tried to emulate them in every way possible. And more than anything, I, I really admired the way that when presented with new information that maybe conflicted with an opinion that they had, that they wouldn't attack it outright. They would ask questions about it and try to learn more about the line of thinking that led this person that was presenting them with new information to believe what that person believed and then form an opinion about it. And that, that maybe this is getting away from the original intent of the question, which was about storytelling, but I think it, I think it's part of a a broader trend and a broader cloth. And, and, uh, I think that due consideration needs to be given to 
the value of the story that is being spoken and communicated before it's just put on out there. You make an excellent point with that. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. We do need to think about the stuff that we're going to say before we put it out there and kind of brings you brings brings us to the final question I want to ask you here. As a professional communicator, I know you've done audio only, you've been in the news system doing some reporting. And a lot of people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis are very scared of public speaking, being in front of a group of people and having to communicate, put out information and talk to them. So do you have any advice to give those people? What have you done over your career to become more comfortable speaking and communicating in front of others? <laughs> um, <laughs> this, this might surprise you, but, uh, uh, speaking in front of a group of people, uh, still makes me sweat through my shirt. Um, even after all these years, I, uh, I got my first job in radio when I was 17 years old, the year was 2002. And I have been a professional communicator ever since. And I went to speak to a friend's, uh, a college class at Marquette university here in Milwaukee the other week. And, uh, and, and I got up in front of that class of you know, it was just 15, like 19 and 20 year olds. And I got up there and I was doing the old, you know, uh, tug at the tie. Oh my God, who turned up the heat in here? What's going on here? I think that speaking in front of a group of people is an uncomfortable situation for anybody. And anybody who is a professional speaker and tells you otherwise is a liar. <laughs> I'm, true. That, yeah, I, they, true. That, I I could be proven wrong there, um, but being in front of people is uncomfortable for the most seasoned of professional speaker in some manner. And so the most important thing, the most important piece of advice that I think I would give somebody who who is bothered by that is to not invest so much time and energy in worrying about it. Invest the time and energy in being prepared for it. I had a news editor at WTDY in Madison by the uh, name of Tim Morrissey. And I told Morrissey one time, you know, Tim, I have these nightmares sometimes uh, where I'm in front of the, uh, the broadcast mic and it's live and I've got to do a newscast in 30 seconds, but I open up the computer file and there's no script there. And so I'm trying to write the script and, and get it ready in time. Um, and then the microphone is live and there are tens of thousands of people listening and I'm stumbling over my words because I don't know what to say. And Morrissey told me and continued to tell me throughout my career, you don't need to worry about that kind of thing. If you know your subject and you know the story and you know what you need to say, you won't have those worries. That will be the last worry. So if you become an expert in what you're speaking about, and if you do the preparation ahead of time and bullet point out your thoughts and the points that you want to touch on, and you warm up and practice it in front of a mirror, you have nothing to worry about after that. The, uh, the heebie-jeebies start because you're not prepared. And so if you prepare your ass off, you'll knock them dead every time. I, I couldn't agree more with you, even when going for job interviews, sitting in my car, actually saying what I'm going to say out loud, making sure that I know what I'm talking about and knowing what I'm going to say. 
is extremely comforting, comforting, builds confidence. And, you know, I can't control how the receiving party is going to act or what they're going to say or do, but I can control how prepared I am and in anticipating questions or, or things that they might throw my way so that I can prepare for those. So totally agree. Going into a job interview, still uncomfortable, but the more I prepare, the more confident. And then, you know, what little bit of comfort I can get out of that. And same with speaking in front of other people. Uh, You said speaking in front of a mirror. I think that is an extremely effective and great way to practice and rehearse and prepare for any speaking engagement. My wife still thinks that I'm nuts because she'll be upstairs watching TV or uh, working on her laptop or something like that. And all of a sudden she'll hear me just shout something at the top of my lungs from my basement office. And she'll come running down here and say, were you saying something to me? And I'm like, no, hon, I just, I've got this line that I need to get down for this podcast. And I need to say it out loud because just looking at it on the screen, I can't tell whether or not it sounds like I'm intelligent or not. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. And, and I still think it's the most effective way to prepare for something is to just, is to speak it out loud, take it for a test drive. If it fits, it fits. Totally. And then even taking it to the next level, recording yourself either through video or audio only and listening to, to what you sound like putting out the information. You know, I've done that and was appalled a couple of times at how I sounded putting that stuff out. And you know, it's better I be embarrassed in front of me instead of embarrassing myself in front of a group of people. So it's another effective tool, I think. Well, and to that point, I'll say that there's no harsher critic of your own performance than you. Nobody is going to hear that little voice crack uh, before the comma and the delivery of the sentence except for you. And so if you can live with that, it's fine. If you're like me, you probably can't live with that little imperfection. And so you're going to spend, you know, 15 extra minutes doing a half dozen takes of every line just to make sure that you get it right and drive yourself up the wall sweating the small stuff. But for the most part, most people are way too triggered by the sound of their own voice and spend a ton of time and effort analyzing the way that they sound that they wouldn't spend on anybody that they were listening to casually. Right. We are the biggest critics of ourselves. I I couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, So, Dusty, that wraps up all of the questions that I had here for you. I think we had some awesome conversation and man, I really appreciate you coming on here again. Uh, thank you so much. It's, it's been great. Is there any, any parting information you want to put out to the listeners? Where can they find you online? All that great stuff. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I mentioned earlier, lead balloon is the new podcast. I'm uh, really pleased with how it's turned out and excited about the episodes that I have lined up for the rest of the year here. Uh, You can find Lead Balloon on whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Uh, Or you could check out the PodCamp Media website. Uh, It's got all the Lead Balloon episodes, liner notes, all the extras, uh, as well as information about the company and uh, what we do for corporate clients. Uh, That is at podcampmedia.com. And I'd invite you to uh, check it out. You can also follow PodCamp Media on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Ian, it has been an absolute blast talking with you here. Really like the podcast. Really appreciate your having me as a guest. Thanks so much for having me. 
And thank you so much again, Dusty, for coming on. And we've had an awesome conversation. And have a good rest of your evening. I appreciate it. You too, man. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. That was Dusty Weiss. If you haven't checked him out on LinkedIn or checked out his podcast yet, this guy has probably forgotten more about podcasting than I know, quite frankly. He is a podcasting guru. If you have any podcasting questions or podcasting production questions, make sure that you hit up Dusty because he knows a heck of a lot about it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I learned a heck of a lot from Dusty, and I really appreciated his perspective of using podcasts to tell stories. And I think that as podcasters, it's extremely important that we know how to do that and and kind of leverage that aspect of podcasting. We need to have beginning, middles, and ends to our podcasts, just like any good story does. And that's just one of the points that sticks in my head that Dusty made. So again, thank you so much for checking out this podcast. If you want to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you. That is ian at getherdpodcast.com. The new website's also up at getherdpodcast.com. We'll love to hear from you. And as always, if you like this content, hit that subscribe button. You could recommend this to a friend and you know just kind of get someone who you think would benefit from this information about leadership and public speaking. Give them exposure to this. So again, thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.